we need to expound and elucidate on a number of vital issues. In this area of the Godhead, the church has underperformed in a dramatic manner. The church has underperformed as it pertains to the Godhead. So this means we need to bring balance. This means we need to bring instruction in righteousness so that the child of God can know who it is they believe, why they believe in him, why any of this matters. The Bible says, For the invisible things of him from the foundation of the world are now clearly seen, being understood by the things which are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. For that which may be known of God has been visibly been made manifest. We have a, a problem, and this problem is a language problem, because language, whether Greek or Hebrew, is insufficient, is insufficient in having to describe these realities. When Moses encounters God from the burning bush, in the burning bush was seeing the Godhead, for there is a bush. In this bush was seeing the branch, was seeing he who came up as a tender plant from the ground, was seeing the vine, and I am the vine, you are the branches. In this bush was seeing he who hung on a tree. In this bush was seeing the person of the sun. But here is the thing, this bush is on fire. In this fire, we are seeing the sanctifying fire of the Holy Spirit. We are seeing that pillar of fire by night and that pillar of cloud by day. Rewana, that consuming fire. Rewana, the Holy Spirit, who is spirit. Just like fire is elemental, we are seeing this fire. But there's also a voice that is speaking. We are seeing or hearing the sun. So in that encounter, Moses meets God. And then Moses asks a question of God. And that question Moses asks, has repeated itself in various ways throughout the centuries. Whom shall I say sent me? Because Moses was asking the questions we are asking. Who is this God? Throughout the centuries, theologians, preachers, heretics alike have tried to take language to describe the inexplicable. So we have a language problem. So God goes beyond language and he starts using creation. For there are some things words cannot convey. And because words cannot convey them, God will use creation to convey them. And creation also itself has got limitations. So I needed to understand the two vital concepts. We have the interactions of the Godhead and extra. This is to say outside of themselves. It is the uh, relations of the Godhead as pertaining to creation. And then we have the relations of the Godhead, ab intra. This is the eternally complex interrelations between the Godhead without any reference to creation. This is an important term. Don't get lost by the words capture the meaning. This simply means there are the relations of the Godhead as pertaining to mankind. And then there are the relations of the Godhead independent from mankind. So God is independent of himself. And so we need to understand that the way God has revealed himself, it is in the purposes of redemption. So even the order that we see in the Godhead, even the manifestation and revelation of the Godhead as we have it, it is ad intra, meaning with respect to his creation. But we don't know the eternal and invisible complexities 
which are apart from his creation. Because what he has spoken is only as it pertains to our redemption. He has only told us as much as we need to know. So it is as a as you need to know basis. You understand? Some things are classified that are beyond you. So uh, 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 how do they put it in corporate language or in spy language? You know, this thing is confidential or when it is above your pay grade. So there are the relations of the Godhead which are independent of his creations. There are the relations, the inexplicable complexities, things you can't even fathom how the Godhead interrelates one with another, which has absolutely nothing to do with mankind. I want you to understand that God is love. And as God is love, there is love within the Godhead. The Father has loved the Son. And they have loved one another in, in, in a way that we are unable to fathom. Man has come, people like Augustine, that the Son is the Beloved. The Father is the lover. The Holy Spirit is the love. So God is love. You understand? So we need to understand that in these interrelations, the Father is the one who loves his Son. The Son is the one who is loved. The Holy Spirit is the love. That is a wonderful analogy, but it also has limitations. It's got limitations because as pertaining to the Holy Spirit, it has now reduced him to an attribute, love. But he is more than an attribute, he is a person. So you see why we've got problems with, uh, with examples, you understand? So we need also to elucidate with these things with, with proper parameters. So it comes with a disclaimer. It comes with something in parentheses. As true as it is. So we've got the workings of the Godhead in and among themselves eternally. We then have the workings of the Godhead as it pertains to redemption. What we see particularly is God's plan being unfolded for the redemption of man. So I want you to know that what we know about God is very limited. I want you to know that ancient question that Moses asked before the burning bush, who shall I say, send me? How shall I introduce you? God himself did not have the vocabulary. God himself did not have the vocabulary. This does not say that God has got limitations. This simply says that creation cannot fathom him. Creation cannot fathom him. I also want you to know that as created beings, we've been called to eternal life. We are not eternal, but we've been called to eternal life. We will exist with him eternally. You understand? But as we talk about eternity, we understand that there is eternity past, there is eternity present, there is eternity future. So we're going we're gonna to enjoy him forever. For this is the purpose of man, to worship God and to enjoy him. And may God enlarge our capacity to enjoy him. Today we're going to go into, into some characteristics which make God to be God. 
look at a few things. A few things I hope you already know will just be really rubber stamping them. We'll just really be coming to a place because these attributes should bring us to worship. These attributes should inspire worship in us. So, because we worship God who is revealed. So, we worship him in his attributes. So, we need to worship God beyond a place of our experience. So, our worship to God is beyond what we have experienced. Is beyond what we have seen him do. I know that we like to encourage people in worship that remember what he has done for you. That is a beautiful thing we should do. Sometimes in remembrance of what he has done, we break out into praise, we break out into worship. But there is a place yonder. The Bible says, Abraham said unto his servants, Tarry here, I and the lad, we go yonder to worship. So the first time we see the word worship, we see a people going yonder. There is a place called yonder. There is a place called beyond, whereby we go yonder. Not because of what he has done, but because of who he is. So now we need to move from the hand of God, the anointing, to the face of God, the glory. The hand of God is what he is doing, what he has done, his actions in the earth. God intervening in the affairs of men. That is his hand. That is the anointing. But there is a place beyond the anointing called his face, the glory, who he is. There is a place whereby our worship is not tied to anything that is happening. Whereby our worship is not tied to our experience. Whereby our worship is not confined to where we are locally. Whereby your favorite verse, Paul and Silas in prison. Whereby it is beyond where they were. They were not asking for deliverance. They were exalting God whom they know. So it was worship without an agenda. They had no agenda of being saved. They had no agenda of being delivered. There was no agenda to their worship. I long for a day whereby we come before God and there is nothing on the menu. There is nothing that we have ordered. There is nothing on our agenda, but we are going yonder. I and the Lord go yonder. In fact, the only thing on the agenda is flesh. The only thing on the agenda is I present my body as a living sacrifice or holy and acceptable to you, which is my reasonable service. That The only thing I can do is but to render my members before you that that you can do as you please that you can do as you will with me that we become like Job though he slay me in fact that is David though he slay me yet will I forever be praising him we need to get to a place where our worship is pure our worship is sanctified because we are worshipping a God who is sanctified so he is the sanctified one sanctified means set apart so God is set apart from his creation so we need to get to a place whereby we don't just worship him in respect to his interactions with his creation we get to a place whereby we move beyond his interactions with his creations but we begin to muse and meditate on his eternal perfections there is a place whereby we get so wrapped up in his perfections that all we view are the perfections 
perfections of God and we worship him in his perfections, we get to a place whereby we suspend our needs, whereby we suspend time itself and we are in a moment for the hour is coming because worship is in a moment. The hour is coming and now is when the true worshiper. So we need to get to a place whereby we suspend our desires, what I need. We suspend everything and we begin to worship him for who he is, meditating on his divine perfections. So now that's why we need to get to a place whereby we teach this God into the unknown God whom you ignorantly worship. Him declare I to you. So there is God who is not known but he desires to be known and in his desire to be known there's what may be known of God and what may not be known about God. So we need to also approach God with some humility because there is what may be known and what may not be known. God is deliberately ambiguous. God is deliberately vague because there is what may be known and what may not be known of God. It is who only has immortality, who dwells in light no man can approach to. So God dwells in unapproachable light. So I need us to worship God in his eternal perfections because he is perfect in and of himself. God is so self-sufficient. When Moses brought that eternal question that man has been wrestling with like Jacob wrestled with God. Those questions to say, who shall I say sent me? God had no words that he could use, though he is the word, but there are no words that he can use for creation to comprehend creator. And he says to Adam, to Abraham, no, to Moses, I am that I am. I am that I am. Moses, you're asking me for a difficult thing. You are trying to, you are requesting of a finite word to explain what is infinite. The best that I can do is to tell you that I am what I am. That is the best I can do. And man has forever been wrestling because we are trying to bring definition to God. Man has been wrestling. We are trying to comprehend him. And that's where we are missing him because we are trying so hard to comprehend him. We are trying so hard to put him even in boxes. Listen, even in our theology, those of us who do believe in God, who do pursue God, there is an element of mystery which keeps us humble. There is an element of the inexplicable. So I want us to come to a place by we, we really know God ne? to the extent that he has revealed himself. In fact, the Bible says, for the secret things belong unto God, but the things which are revealed belong unto us and unto our children's children. I want you to know that there are things which are secret, but 
there are things which have been revealed. Why do you want to know my name, seeing that it is secret? Moses, not Moses, uh, Jacob wanted to know the name of the angel of the Lord. And why do you want to know my name, seeing that it is secret? Why do you want to know my name? For what cause do you want to know my name? And man has been wrestling time to figure out his name. He appears again to Manoah. And Manoah wants to know his name. And wherefore wouldest thou want to know my name? Because it is a wonderful secret. So his name is a wonderful secret. It's a wonderful secret. Now, we get to Proverbs chapter 30, verses 3 and 4. Now, listen to what the Bible says in Proverbs 13. Verse 4, come on. Who has ascended up into heaven? Or who has descended? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has bound the waters like a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? And what is his son's name? If you can tell. So now, in this enigma of Agur, an enigma is a riddle. We don't read the Bible like a newspaper. So Agur is giving us some enigmas. He's giving us some riddles. Are, who has ascended up into heaven? Or who has descended? Now, by the vantage point of the New Testament, because the cross is the hermeneutical filter, we know the statement very well that he that ascended is the same also that descended. So we now begin to understand, oh, the one who ascended is he who descended. So now we are about the sun. But now, who has gathered the wind in his fist? Now think about creator. Heaven and stone. Are you now equating the sun to create to, 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 to the level of creator? Or who has bound the waters in a garment? So this one, he has bound the waters in a garment. That's why his first miracle was a miracle of water. Because he has bound the waters in a garment. When he was revealed, he was revealed in the waters. It was in the water when the father said, this is my son, in whom I I am well pleased, hear him. Mankind did not hear that revelation. Listen, God spoke from heaven, and this is my son. The Pharisees still doubted, but they were there. God spoke from heaven, and this is my son, in whom I am well pleased, but they still did not understand. They still could not comprehend who he was, but the waters comprehended, and the waters understood. So he has bound the waters in a garment. So now when he must do his first miracle, and then when you must perform this thing. Uh, the one to, my time has not yet come. Um, get me some water because the water had the command. Get me some water. So now the waters will suddenly behave. He wants water, therefore we are water. He wants wine. Because there's not come before its creator. The waters had the destruction. Who has bound the waters? in a garment who has established all the ends of the earth what is his name 
And what is his son's name, if you can tell? So now, even if you can tell, oh, what is his name and what is his son's name? If you can tell who he is and if you can tell who the son is, if you can tell them apart, that is. Because they are so, they are so indwelling one another. Now, this mutual indwelling, that's what perichoresis means. Get the interrelations between the Godhead. It is the mutual indwelling of the entire Godhead in a dynamic unity. So the Father eternally indwells the Son, and the Son eternally indwells the Father, and the Father eternally indwells the Holy Spirit. They indwell and enjoy one another in a dynamic unity eternally outside of creation. So there is a mutual indwelling. Whom shall I say send me? I have given an analogy talking about quantum physics that as we talk about light and as we talk about the nature of light, we get to a place whereby our comprehension of it, as you go to the boundaries of science, as you go to the quantum realm, as you go into infinite things that our entire model of reality breaks down, our entire understanding of reality breaks down. Hello. It all breaks down. What do you mean? Because when we study light, we begin to realize that normal light is a wave. But as you look at it carefully, it is a particle. And then it has been experimentally proven. Experimentally, we can test it, we can reproduce it experimentally been proven that it's a wave. But it's also been experimentally proven that it is a particle. And these do not contradict one another. This therefore requires in our pursuit of understanding the nature of light that we need to keep in mind a duality of nature that we need to oscillate in our understanding and in our models of light, we need to oscillate that its nature is particle and its nature is also is also a wave, a wave particle and and uh, not only wave particle but uh, wave uh, nature and particle nature. And these particles are actually called pockets, pockets of energy, quanta. That's where we get quantum mechanics from. You understand? So as it moves from one orbital to another orbital, there is a specific heat which is released. And then that heat is a quanta. There is an energy which is re released from one orbital to another orbital. Now, we're not, we're not talking about Bohr's model of the atom, you understand? So, we, we therefore begin to realize that uh, we need to, to keep in our understanding a duality. And then these things do not contradict one another. 
The same is true of God, who is light. That as you are looking at God, who is light, his nature is, it needs a variableness, his nature. As you comprehend, we need to oscillate between three and one, one and three, three and one, one and three. But it is only when light goes through something transparent, a triangle, which has got three sides, that light is broken out into seven colors, perfection. And when we begin to look at this, we realize the wave particle and characteristics of light. But now there are also other characteristics that we begin to see. No wonder God says, I am the light of the world, that God is light. So now we need to go and study light. And when we are looking at light, we realize that there are some irreducible differences, but they do not contradict one another, though they are opposite to one another. It is both a wave and a particle, and both are true. So we keep this in our understanding that it is a dynamic mystery. It's not just a mystery which is static. It is dynamic. So in our view of God, we need to manage this dynamic tension between three and one, one and three. And we begin to wrestle with this concept as the bush is burning. But as the bush is burning, it is not consumed because we understand the bush to be the sun, the fire to be the Holy Spirit. So we see that as the fire is burning, the bush is not consumed. As the father pours out his wrath on the sun, the sun is not consumed. The grave cannot hold him. The Bible says so. It was impossible that death could hold him down. And so now remember, because he was sinless, therefore he cannot die. The greatest mystery is how the son died. Because the wages of sin is death. By virtue of him being sinless, he cannot die. By virtue of him being sinless, he is immortal. Yet one who knew no sin became sin. One who knew no sin, he died. So we need to comprehend God in his perfections. We need to comprehend God for who he is. Have keep this it. Our comfy clothes over. They don't respect the anointing at all. There is this dynamic unity. We see that there was a high priest, and this high priest had a garment. And when I'm looking at this high priest, goes by the name of Aaron. The word Aaron, it means light bringer. So when we're looking at Aaron, we're looking at a picture of the sun, our eternal high priest. So when we're looking at Aaron, it's a picture of the sun. The sun is the mediator, but not only is he the mediator, he's also the sacrifice 
because the high priest needed an offering that he must present. But there is nothing better that the high priest can present than himself. So we are seeing that he is much better than Aaron because Aaron needed first to make an atonement for himself and then also make an atonement for the tabernacle and make atonement for everything before going to do the real work of atonement. He had to take off his garments that he was wearing and then put on a fresh pair of garments so that he can do the works of the priest. So Aaron himself needed to be cleansed, but this Jesus needed no sanctification, but because there is a process which is described, Jesus now comes and he goes to John. John, hey, Baba, now you baptize me. John, Jesus, no, you must baptize me. And I am not worried that I can baptize you. I, the Baptist, have long been waiting for a baptizer. It is now my time. Do not do this to me, Jesus. I also need to be baptized. I mean, John, you need to do this so that all righteousness can be fulfilled. Everybody, you must baptize me. Hey, we're not John. Don't you understand that while you were still in the womb, we had an encounter and you were filled with the Holy Ghost from death. So it was actually the Holy Ghost in John baptizing Jesus. It was the Holy Ghost in him and he suffer it so now so that all righteousness can be fulfilled in as much as Aaron had to make atonement for himself now you must baptize me for the fulfillment of all righteousness but this baptismal is not for the cleansing of sin this baptismal is for the appointing into the office because in the 30th year a piece of consecrated. So now Jesus is dirty and he will not consecrate me a priest. So his baptism is not a cleansing from sin. His baptism is the sanctification into office. So now Jesus is about to enter into his office. He's about to enter into his priestly ministry. But now like Aaron, he needs to have a sacrifice he can present. So now just like Melchizedek came and Melchizedek had bread and wine. So this Jesus must have something to offer. But this Jesus is different from the encounter with Melchizedek because Melchizedek is a pre-incarnate manifestation. But when looking at Melchizedek, he brought bread and wine. But looking at Jesus, he is the bread and he is the wine. So now he is of the order. We have this high priest, Aaron, light bringer. But Aaron is wearing a garment on his two shoulders are two onyx stones. And on these onyx stones are written the names of the tribes of Israel. So on his shoulders he's carrying our burdens. On his shoulders he's carrying our names. On his shoulders he's bringing us in intercession before the Father. But now, under the breastplate which had nine stones, and under the breastplate she had nine stones which speaks of the nine gifts of the spirit under this breastplate we find that there are two other stones 
And these two other stones are called Urim and Tamim. So now when you're looking at Jesus, well, when you're looking at Aaron, the high priest, it's a picture of the son, the mediator of the covenant, and also the sacrifice of the covenant. So when you're looking at the priest, it's a picture of the triune God. When you're looking at the priest, not the priesthood, but the priest himself, while looking at the Trinity, because the priest is a picture of the son, the mediator of the covenant. For there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. But the, watch this now, there are two lights, lights and perfections, Urim and Tamim. When I'm looking at Urim, Urim is speaking about light. James 1.17 For every good and perfect gift comes from the above, from the Father of light, in whom there is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. So when I'm looking at Urim, it is light, but Tamim is perfections. So when I'm looking at the Holy Ghost, those are the perfections, the Holy Ghost sanctifying and perfecting us. So in this one high priest, it is the priest with light and perfections because in Christ dwells the Godhead bodily. So there are light and perfections. So in this one high priest, we are seeing the eternal Godhead. May I get my cloth? If I live only more, get me something. We learned that there was a time, three times in a year. I'm still babbling, three times in a year, he will appear. They will appear before him three times in a year. At the appointed times, they shall make it. <laughs> I want your chest to shake. <clears throat> okay, if they're fine, it's fine. Three times in a year, they shall appear before me. In the Feast of Passover, Feast of Pentecost, and the Feast of Tabernacles, they will appear before me. In Passover, we are seeing the Lamb. The Son of God. The Passover lamb is sacrificed for us. This is Corinthians 5. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. This is Exodus. In fact, the, the, the feasts are Leviticus 23. So in the Passover, we are seeing the person of the Son. And then we now also have Pentecost. And in Pentecost, we have the wave loaves. This is 2 Corinthians chapter number 3. And in Pentecost, it is the Holy Spirit and the Spirit came down on Pentecost. Get the waving of the two loaves. A wave offering which is presented. So you must wave. There must be a wave of the Holy Ghost. There is a waving. Get Pentecost. In Pentecost, we are seeing the person of the Spirit. But there is the ultimate feast. And in this ultimate feast, get the feast of tabernacles. This speaks of the Father. It speaks of completeness. It speaks of fullness. So the Godhead is wrapped up in the entire Bible. In fact, the entire Bible is explained in threes. In the book of Proverbs, have I not written unto you excellent things in counsels and in knowledge and in wisdom? Have I not written unto you excellent things? That word excellent is the Hebrew word shalosh. 
and shalosh means a triangle. Have I not spoken unto you excellent things? Excellent things are threefold things. And threefold things are excellent things. So God always reveals himself in three. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. The blood, the oil, and the glory. It is always threefold things. Outer court, inner court, holy place. It is always threefold things. Spirit, soul, and body. Always threefold things. Time, space, and matter. Always threefold things. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The blood, the water, and the spirit. Threefold things are excellent things, and excellent things are threefold things. He always takes with him three disciples, Peter, James, and John. The Bible says, well, whether they be gifts, they shall fade away. Whether they be all these things, they shall vanish. But there are three things which remain faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. So threefold things are excellent things, and excellent things are threefold things. Even when man was cast out of the garden, there were three things guarding the way. It is the two cherubim and the sword. In the one cherubim, we see the person of the Father. In the other cherubim, we see the person of the Spirit. And then in the sword, which turns in every direction, we are seeing the person of the Son. So we are seeing a trinity guiding the way to the garden, guiding the way to Eden. And let me also deal with these people who think they have found the location to Eden. Hey, you are crazy. No one will ever find that location. You are crazy. No one will ever find that location. You are crazy. If you think Eden is Africa, Walwala. If you think Eden is the Middle East, Walwala. If you think Eden is in Australia, Walwala. The Bible says there are cherubim with flaming swords which turn in every direction to keep the way to the garden of Eden. We will never find that place. That's if it is still there. That's if, a big if, because there was a flood of Noah which wiped out everything. So if everything was wiped out, what are you, why are you looking for things which were there before? Because everything was wiped out. Hey, 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 we have found the garden. Oh, can need it. When God wiped out everything, where now you found the garden? Some people are taking this thing personally because they look at Eden as their destination. <laughs> but we're not going back to Eden. We have come to the paradise of God. We're not looking for a garden. We have become the garden. We are the plantation of the Lord. It is a garden enclosed, a fountain sealed, a spring shut up. So there are three things involved. A garden enclosed. Three things which are closed in Song of Solomon chapter 4. A garden enclosed. A spring shut up. A fountain sealed. Three, four things which are sealed. Three, four things which are shut up. It will blow upon my garden that the spices thereof can flow. So the spices will never flow until the wind beats upon the garden. And it's not just any wind, but the north wind. The north wind speaks about trial. The north wind speaks about testing. The north wind speaks speaks about affliction. So there needs to be a wind of trial, testing, and affliction which will blow upon his garden so that the spices can flow out. So in order for us to see frankincense, may and all these other spices, what are the spices that are speaking about the gifts? What are the spices that are speaking about graces? What are the spices that are speaking about perfection that God is working in the life of a believer? And then we need the north wind to blow so that the spices can come out. There is 
is an anointing which will never be revealed in you up until there is a time of crushing. There is an anointing which will never be revealed up until there is a time of testing. So God, at the appointed times, invites trial, invites affliction, invites testing so that the spices can flow out. You've been crying, God, let that anointing flow. God, let that anointing operate. But you don't know that there is a dimension in pain. There is a dimension in the dealings and seasons of God which will bring out that anointing in a fountain sealed, a garden enclosed, a, a, a fountain shut up is my beloved. So there are things locked up within the believer which will only be unleashed by the blowing of the north wind. So God in his providence and God in his wisdom allows for the north wind to blow. He allows for the wind to blow upon the garden so that the spices can blow out. When I'm looking at our Bible, there are five books of wisdom. There is Proverbs, there is Psalms, there is Ecclesiastes, there is Song of Solomon, and then there is Job. When I'm looking at the book of Job, there are five books, and these five books, they are the books of wisdom. When I'm looking at these five books, they are speaking about the spiritual progress of a believer. So the order of the five books, they kept to be the writings, the order of these five books is speaking about the order of the spiritual progress in the life of the believer. Our journey with God begins in the book of Job. In the book of Job, man dies. In the book of Job, we lose everything. In the book of Job, the old man and all that he was must die. Job must come to the end of himself. So this is the cross. This is the beginning. This is wisdom, the fear of the Lord. Job maintained the fear of the Lord. So when I'm looking at the at the book of Job, get the death of the self-life. So through the fires of affliction, a new vision of God is born. Job is brought to the end of himself. Next is the book of Psalms. And in the book of Psalms, we see new life in God. Because what we find, there is an expression of praise and prayer. There is adoration and supplication. There is intercession, faith, hope, and love. There is fear. There is joy. There is the fear of the Lord. I mean, there is joy. There is this renewed love, vigor, and the heart which desires to know God. This is the book of Psalms. This is the next chapter in our progress and life with God. Then we come to Proverbs, God's school. He's beginning to teach us wisdom. We are learning heavenly and practical wisdom. I'm looking at the table of contents. There is practical wisdom for life here on earth. Then we are caught up in the book of Ecclesiastes. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, we learn not to look on things below, but to look on things above, where our destination is. We learn that we are strangers and pilgrims here in the earth. We don't set our treasures here on the earth where moth and rust doth corrupt, but our treasure is in heaven. And finally, we come to the song of all songs. And in the song of songs, we are not the ones who are singing. He is the one who is singing. In the song of songs, we don't have any lyrics. He is singing in the song and we are partaking in his song. In the song of songs, man has had his chance to sing his song. He's been singing in Job, singing in Proverbs, singing in Psalms, singing in Ecclesiastes. But now is the song of all songs. And the song of all songs is his song. And the Father is the one singing. The Son is the song. The Holy Ghost is the lyrics. And this song is a song of all songs. And it's a song of love that man is partaking in.
man's development, progression. The book of Job, blessing through suffering. The book of Psalms, praise through prayer. The book of Proverbs, prudence through precept. The book of Ecclesiastes, verity through vanity. And the song of all songs, canticles, canticorum. What do we find there? Bliss through union. So there is a bliss through our union with God. The first step in our spiritual life is the book of Job. We need to abhor our badness. We also need to abhor our goodness. How good I am, I must abhor it. The, everything must be abhorrent. Job does not exalt his goodness in the book. So, in the book of Job, this is the first step in our spiritual journey. We abhor our goodness. We also abhor our badness. Blessing through suffering. God, you are magnificent. You are magnificent. We bless you for prophetic grace in the atmosphere. We bless you for oil. We bless you for oil. Kayala Mandere Boshaya. Kamandara Basakabaha. For the ark is in the house of Obed Edom. The presence of God is among us to bring deliverance, to bring blessing. We bless you, Father. an impartation of your goodness. Speaking to ourselves in psalms, in hymns, and in spiritual songs, making music and melody in our hearts to the Lord. Father God, we thank you for the eternal realities and perfections. I in them and you in me. That they may be one, even as we are one. As we are perichoroses, may they also be perichoroses. 
iramandele boshaya ndabahandele bosaya God is omniscient by omniscient we mean all knowing God is omniscient he is an all knowing god this means god knows everything the knowledge god has is unacquired it's not acquired knowledge in the realm of god there is no new revelation in the realm of god there's no concept of new God uses that language to accommodate us who are in time. But God does not experience new. For nothing takes him by surprise. I want us to meditate on the divine perfection of God's omniscience. I want you to borrow me a few minutes and we begin to meditate on the omniscience of god by omniscient it means he knows all things at all times did you get that he knows all things at all times he's omniscient not some things but all things he knows all things within himself all things in the universe all things in his creatures he knows all things he knows what is in the mind of satan he knows all things i want us to understand and to contemplate the attribute of his omniscience i want to lead you in worship tonight i want to take you through a levitical experience because when levi was leading in worship he wasn't singing a song but he was giving a sermon i want us to understand this god in worship he knows all things within himself he knows all things in the universe he knows all things in his creatures whether they be things past whether they be things present or whether they be things future there is nothing that god does not know There is nothing that God has not known from eternity. From eternity he has known all things. To eternity he knows all things. I want you to meditate on this. God's knowledge ne, is is absolute and unacquired. There is nothing you can tell God about you. God does not need to take you on a date so he can get to know you better. If he dates you, it's so that you can get to know him better. So in the date you are doing the learning. Sometimes he calls us on a date. Are you okay, man? Let's talk. So, let's talk. 
God never has to learn anything. He never has to learn anything. There is nothing you can tell God. No, there is nothing you can tell him that he does not already know. This is omniscience. When we're talking about omniscience, we're talking omni means all. That's why we've got omnivores. We've got carnivores again. We have herbivores. And then we've got omnivores. I think vorals, omnivores. Omni means all. So God is all-knowing. Omniscience involves perfect knowledge. Perfect knowledge. Perfect understanding. And perfect wisdom. I need you to contemplate on these, on these attributes. Perfect knowledge. Perfect knowledge. Né? Perfect understanding and perfect wisdom. His omniscience is also a trinity. The omniscience of God is a trinity. Perfect knowledge. Perfect wisdom. Perfect understanding. Perfect knowledge. Perfect wisdom. Perfect understanding. This is the omniscience of God. Perfect knowledge is the possession and accurate knowledge of all facts. Accurate possession of all knowledge and facts. There are no new discoveries with God. No new discoveries. I, I, I want to take you through in a few minutes a journey just through some scriptures so that we can... I'm looking at my Bible and trying to think, well, where should I? There are so many perfections. Perfect understanding, ne? When I give with down, you can have it somewhere. Okay, like I agree. But perfect understanding is the full, the full perception and interpretation of facts. That is perfect understanding. Full and perfect interpretation of the facts. Perfect understanding. When God intervenes, he doesn't have to investigate what happened and who did what. It's a perfect perception and understanding of all the facts. His perfect wisdom is the proper application of those facts. And by virtue of his omniscience, this therefore qualifies God to be the judge of all. Because as the judge of all, his application of wisdom is par excellence. There is absolutely no variableness or error that God is capable of. That's why he shall be the judge of all. That's why he shall sit on the great white throne. In fact, when the books shall be opened, I don't think they're being opened for his sake. I think they're being opened for our sake. Even then the books shall be opened for the angels to reference. But there's absolutely nothing God needs to refer to because God is perfect in his knowledge. There is nothing that God does not know. And by virtue of God's omniscience, he therefore becomes infallible. So now a function of the omniscience of God is infallibility. 
By infallibility, we mean incapable of error or mistake. So because God is omniscient, he is therefore infallible. This makes him incapable of an error in judgment. God does not need to apologize. So there is no error. There is no possibility of a mistake with God. There is no possibility of error with God. There is no variableness or shadow of turning with God. There is absolutely no wrong. There never was a time when God is wrong. There never will be a time when God is wrong. He is infallible. He is incapable of error or omission. God will not omit anything. It is not possible for God to make a mistake in judgment. It's not possible. God, you read William Bible. Bula Vesemo. Daniel 2.22. Because I also really baby like it. God knows everything. When I say God knows everything, like I'm just looking at my Bible here. When I say God knows everything, oh, he's present here. Oh, he's present here. When I say God knows everything, he knows everything possible. God does not deal with statistics. He knows everything possible. He knows everything actual. He knows all events and all creatures. Events of the past, events of the present, and events of the future. He knows them. He is perfectly acquainted with every detail of your life. Perfectly acquainted with it. Everything in heaven, in earth, and in hell. Daniel 2.2, he knoweth what is in the darkness. So I want you to know that there is no scheme which is being made in hell that God does not know about. He knows what is in the darkness. So God knows what is in darkness. Now, there is nothing, listen, there is nothing which can be done in secret that God does not know. So the knowledge of God, now I'm thinking about his omniscience and I want us to meditate on it. There is nothing which is happening in the dark that God does not know. There is no deleted WhatsApp message that God has not seen. God does not need a screenshot. God knows what happens in darkness. You can lie to me, you can lie to us. But God knows what is in the darkness. God knows what is in the darkness. Nothing escapes his notice. I want us to meditate on the goodness of God. And I think Psalms 139 will be good. Tato Psalm 139, verse 6. Ah, now, speak. I hope it's not muted. 
Psalm 139. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. Huh. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. Let me just mute that effect. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. So I want us today to join David and say, God, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I want to even comprehending your omniscience. It is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain unto it. The error with mankind today we are trying to attain to this knowledge. We are trying to define him. David just meditating on his omniscience. failure. such knowledge is too wonderful for me. I want us to join the psalmist today. Such knowledge is too wonderful. That such knowledge I cannot comprehend it. His knowledge is perfect. He never errs in judgment. Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4, verse 12. For the word of God is quick, powerful, ne? 12 and 13. Sharper than any two-edged sword, cutting to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. Uk, 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 uk. The word of God. Ne? And is a discerner of the thoughts. Not only the thoughts, and intent of the heart. He is the discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The Bible says in, in Jeremiah, if the heart is wicked. In fact, if the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked, who can know it? You can't even trust your own heart. That's why the Bible says, regard it with diligence. You don't even know your own heart. But the Lord, he knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. Your own heart that you are still searching out. That's why you need to go to therapy and unpack your emotions. God doesn't need to go to therapy with you. He already knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. He knows the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not made manifest in his sight. So there is no creature. This includes angels. This includes cockroaches. This includes the amoeba, little protozoa. There is also little, like there is no creature which is not made manifest in his sight. But all things are naked and opened unto the eyes with him we have to do. I want us today to consider him with whom we have to do. That him, there is nothing, there is nothing clothed. There is nothing hidden. Everything is naked before him. Listen, when Adam put aprons, he thought he was hiding something from God. But with him, nothing is hidden. It, okay, you can wait for your own sake. Get self-righteousness. You can do it for your own sake. But with me, nothing, everything is naked. When when I am involved, when I am involved, everything is naked. When I am involved, there's nothing you can hide. This is him with whom we have to do. 
Jumpala back to Psalm 139. Ne. Yako verse 2, 3 and 4. Pakisa ne. Okay, it will come over verse 1. O oh Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Oh, thou hast searched me and known me. This is even speaking about our experience on such it. He did not need to search. He's perfect in knowledge. But we feel like he's been searching. I'm not going to violate him. I'm not going to search. But he actually doesn't need to search. Thou, Lord, has searched me and known me. I want you to understand the Psalms that David a bit better today. Now, Ari, let's go. Let's go. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Mm. Thou understandest my thought afar Sure, sure, sure. My down-sitting and my uprising. And my thoughts, you know them are far off. Listen, before you even think about it, when this happens, first instinct, you know my thoughts are far off. Thou knowest my uprising and my sitting down. Now, listen, God knows when I'm going to sit down, when I'm going to get up. He knows there's a spoon I'm going to tip over. He knows everything, my uprising and my sitting down. This is a scary thought that the master of the universe is looking at you like this. And such knowledge should render God honorable and of high esteem before us. And of high esteem, it should bring us to worship. Such apprehension of omniscience should bow us in adoration. Verse 3. Thou compassest my path and my lying down, and art acquainted with all my ways. He is acquainted with all my ways. He comforts you. He's acquainted with all of my ways. So acquainted. We need to meditate on this divine perfection. He's he's all knowing. Yahweh verse 4. For there is not a word in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. Listen, there is not anything you are saying that he does not know. But he even knows our Rohana. He knows Ronalamaka. He knows you like to exaggerate. He knows it all. There is nothing he has said that he does not know. There is nothing you will say. He doesn't say, excuse me, sorry, or any. He does not need to do that because he perfectly knows. He knows every utterance of your lips. Listen, he's been there every moment. There is nothing you can say that he does not know. Nothing takes him by surprise. Yet how little do we meditate on this divine perfection? It is because men hate the thought. This thought, it makes a sinful man uneasy. Ezekiel 11. Verse 5. It makes a sinful man uneasy, such knowledge. 
Because I want us to look at just a fraction of an attribute which is his omniscient. And then you will see what this means about the Godhead. You will see what this means. Ezekiel 11 verse 5. And the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me and said unto me, Speak, thus saith the Lord, thus have, thus have ye said, O house of Israel. Stop. Nothing can be concealed from God. Continue. Thus have ye said, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind, every one of them. Listen, nothing is concealed from God. I know the things that come into your mind. All the filthy thoughts, I know them. Now, God says, I know the things that come into your mind. Before you know your own thoughts, God knows them. Some thoughts are new to you. You didn't know you were capable of such. God, when you are capable. Nigeria are capable. And I know your thoughts, every one of them. Your, your filthiest thought, God knows it. I'm not talking about God and the sinner. I'm not talking about God and the unrepentant. I'm not talking about God and the world that hates him. And I'm now giving you an aspect from divinity why the world by knowledge hates God. They hate him because he makes them uneasy. They hate him because if really there is God, then I'm accountable for my actions. If really there is God, not even my actions, my thoughts, if really there is a God, so therefore, I'd rather remove the concept of God altogether. I cannot have someone invading my privacy like this. Listen, God does not just know your dreams. He gives you the dream. He gives you the dream. So, I know the thoughts that come into your mind. Each and every one of them. None of them can be hidden from me. None of them. You see, we think because God is invisible, we are also invisible to him. He is invisible to us. We are not invisible to him. There is nothing God does not see. Adam and Eve, our first parents, thought that the trees could hide their nakedness from God that the trees could hide what they did. But God knew it because nothing can be hidden from him. There was a time when the first murder happened. The first murder happened without a witness. But God did not need a witness because his eyes saw it. No human eye beheld the murder of Abel. There was no one to come and report and testify. But no, Abel's blood did not even need to cry from the ground because God has seen it. But even when Abel can no longer speak for himself, God hears the voice of his blood, that he knows it all. He knows it all. There was nothing which could hide anything. Before even Cain... 
Before Cain slaughtered Abel, the Lord went to Cain. Why is your face sad? Why is your countenance down? Listen, he did not need to say anything. We matter why is your countenance down? If you do well, you will be accepted. If thou do not know well, sin lies at the door. Muriam is telling Cain, listen, sin lies at the door. I can see where this is going. You're going to murder your own brother. God is all-knowing. And surely enough, he still did murder his own brother. And when God comes out, where is your brother? We think God is investigating and God is initiating a conversation. He's not trying to find out where his brother is. He's bringing this one to accountability where is your brother am I my brother's keeper but there is nothing hidden from God there is nothing God does not know there comes a time when God goes to Abraham Abraham having a one on one Abraham by this time next year you will have a son Sarah is listening and God listens and Sarah in her heart laughs at what God is saying and then why is Sarah laughing in her heart why is Sarah laughing in her heart he knows it all he does not but he knows why is Sarah laughing in her heart when you hear the promises of God you think ah this one is not possible God hears that thought when a prophetic word is released or amen papa but really in your heart are we telling God knows it and God sees it Abraham why is Sarah laughing? So now here we see husband and wife. Mudima would Sarah. Are Sarah, why are you laughing? Mudima would Abraham. Abraham, why is the one submitted to you laughing? Why is your wife laughing? You must answer me. You answer me. Why? For the husband is the head of the wife. Yo, yo, yo. Don't go there. I might as well. Second, First Corinthians. First Corinthians 11. First Corinthians 11. Men of God, you are naughty. First Corinthians 11. Yo, yo, yo. First Corinthians 11. You can just give me verse 3. But I would have you know that the head of everything. Oh, 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 the head. The head. This word is a folly. Source. The head of every man is Christ. The word there, aner, men, the aner. And then this is a different kind of word, aner. It's not a, as in men, a guy, ne? But the head of every man are near. That's actually mankind. Continue. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. Aha. Uh-huh. And? And the head of the woman is the man. Yaha. Uh-huh. So there are two words for men there. Let's just focus on the one word, aner. So in these two verses, in these verses, the first man. And the second man is not the same word in the Hebrew, in the Greek. So this one, the first one, mankind. The second one is speaking to a man who is attached to a woman. So this is actually a husband. This verse is not saying, as a man, you are a head over every woman. 
He said you are a head over your wife. So sisters, you are not submitting to every guy in here. Only the one who put a ring here. No. Oh, how, how can she talk to me like that being a girl? Listen, I almost said how. She can challenge you. She can say no. She can tell you whatever is on her mind. Mara, her attitude says a lot to other guys who are interested. Listen, you can, you are not submitting to every guy here. You are not, but your husband. Mara, how you behave, ne? Brother, be careful. Because you're going to have to enter into fights. You're not ready to enter into. Because someone's mouth cannot be shut. You're going to have to enter into situations. Because someone cannot keep their mouth shut. Or someone will not listen to you. You know what? At this time, don't go out. You see, you need to learn and there is an element of submission. Listen to me. I of advice free of charge. There are men in your lives that you should willingly submit yourself to. Willingly. Not by obligation. Never out of relationship. You've got brothers. You've got uncles. Submit yourself to them. Sometimes your brother, why are you dressed like that? It's not control. He knows the age of a man. Why are you dressed like that? It's not control. It's like, I know what men can do and where you are going. Sometimes that is how the protection happens by making you aware. If anything happens, you will have to step in. So you disregarding him is actually endangering him. Because anything happens to you, it is infringing on his honor and he must step in. This is how the world works. Listen, you're not in a baby, you're not a baby girl in a baby world. You're not a baby girl. So there is an element. Harry, no, leave it. No, they can't talk to us like that. Hey, man, leave it. Because now when we aggress, who must step in? Then now or queen. The thing is, we also watch too many movies. It's what the, the head of every woman is the man. But the head of Christ is God. Yeah, I thought they were equal. How can he be the head now? But I said there are the interrelations of the Godhead. Ab extra and ad inter. As it pertains to creation, so as it pertains to creation, the son is submitting to the father in the unfolding plan of redemption. So we are seeing that this is an order, not a rank. This is an order, not a hierarchy. This is an order. It's not preeminence, but 
priority. So it is not who you are preeminent, but that there is priority. So the head of Christ is God. Now, this verse, one of the verses which I want to get their own sermon. But I want you to understand that that word, kefale, source. And what does that mean? Because the head, kefale, covering. So it is translated number one as a covering. It is translated number two as the source. And so now, how is God the Father, the head of God the Son? By means of source. Because the Father has begotten the Son. You understand? So it is the Father who begets the Son. The Son never begets the Father. The Spirit does not beget the Son. You understand? So we, the, the Father does not proceed from the Spirit. The Father does not proceed from the Son. It is the Spirit who proceeds. It is the Son who is begotten. But it is the Father who begets. These are the divine and eternal distinctions. So now, we see that there was one tabernacle, but it had three coverings. The first covering is badger skin, which speaks about God over all. Get badger skin. Get the first covering. One tabernacle, three coverings. One tabernacle, three coverings. The first covering, which covers the entire tabernacle, is badger skin. Rough. Ruddy. Nothing beautiful that we should behold it. And then the second covering is ram skin dyed red. And when you're looking at ram skin dyed red, it is speaking about the ram who was dipped in blood, the central person of the Godhead, the Son, gave the second covering of it all. And then there is the third covering of goat's hair, which is black. And this goat's hair, which is black, are the curtains within the tabernacle. These are the inroads in workings of the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit is the one who dwells in the tabernacle. Remember, the tabernacle of God is man. So now there are curtains in the tabernacle, black curtains. This is speaking about the indwelling and inner workings of the Holy Spirit. One tabernacle, three coverings, badger skin the Father, ram skin the Son, goat's head the Spirit, three coverings, one tabernacle, three persons, one God. Eternally relating one with another. There is nothing hidden from God's knowledge. Akan, Akan took gold when they entered Jericho and he hid it in his tent. Nobody knew what Akan did, but God knew what he did. No one knew what Akan did, but God knew what he did. Akan took something and he put it in his tent. He buried it in the inner chamber of his tent. This is speaking about the idols that we have buried deep in our hearts. God knows about them. Those secret sins, those unconfessed things, sins, those sins we don't speak about, that no one knows about, that we have hidden deep in the tabernacle and we have buried them and long forgotten about them. Those things we have not dealt with. Those things which have not come out to the light. God knows them. There's omniscient. There's nothing God does not know. David did his best to cover up sleeping with Bathsheba. He covered it up. 
He created a plan to deal with Uriah. Yeah, now it's fine. I can take care of my wife because the husband is dead. No one needs to know about what happened. No one needs to know. But no one knew what happened. It is only uh, that other guy, the captain, the other captain. Come on, man, I even preached about this. Who remembers? Joash. Who knew that David wanted Uriah dead, but he did not know why? So David covered it up. And then God sends one of his prophets. I, David, you are the man. You are the man. That's why David was someone, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too wonderful for me. David did the best he could do to, to hide his sin from God. But God sends his prophet, Ari David, you are the man. You are the man. Well, Numbers 32, verse 23, be sure your sin will be found out. So there is nothing you're going to do that I will not know about. Romans 8, for the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God. Neither in, So the carnal mind wrestles with this idea of God. The carnal mind, Hosea 7, verse 2, the carnal mind is enmity against God. The carnal mind cannot comprehend this God, and it, it is forever wrestling with this concept of God. So the wicked hate this divine perfection. They wish that there is no discerner of their hearts, no searcher of their thoughts, no knower of their intents. The wicked so wish. They seek to banish such a God from their hearts. Hosea 7. And they consider not in their hearts that I remember all their wickedness. But I remember all. The, there is nothing which has happened in the past that God does not know. I remember all the. You see, the reason why God needed the Son to come, it is so that our sins can be washed away because all God is seeing is wickedness, Baba. All God is seeing is bad. That's why our righteousness is like filthy rags. The only thing which can solve this matter, there is nothing you can do to atone. The only thing that can help is if the blood of my son covers you because I remember all of your wickedness. Remember God is holy. There is no variableness, neither shadow of turning in him. He is so holy. He remembers all of these things. He cannot remove them from his mind. Therefore, come, let us reason together. Though your sins be red as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. It is far as the east is from the west. So far shall I remove your iniquities from you, but not the blood of my son must be shed. This is why the offering and the atonement is necessary. I remember all their wickedness. I remember all their wickedness. Psalms 90, verse 8. The wicked hate him because of this. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins in the light of thy countenance. Hey, you think you're like David, you can hide it. You think, Murut, you can chalk talk. 
and no one will know about it. Hey, a secret sins, secret sins, it will come to the light. And when God brings it to light, you must know, there is nothing. And God does not just bring it to light. When someone is forever unrepentant, because there is a secret sin. If it is brought to light, Thou hast set our iniquities forever before thee. Our secret sins. Listen, there are things we are doing in secret. He knows. He knows them. This is God and the sinner. This is the omniscience of God and the sinner. But let's talk about God and the saint. What does this mean for God and the saint? And how does this apply? Man of God, we can hear all that you are saying. But now, how is this relevant to me? And how does this now affect my devotion? Before you kiss up between it, I may not even take it there. If you can feel you put it together already. The sinner. What about the saint? Job 23. Verse 10, when the believer, you see, God's omniscience is a truth which brings the believer much comfort. Once you know about God's omniscience, it brings you much comfort, especially in times of perplexity like Job, in times of confusion, in times of affliction and so much perplexity happening. God's omniscience brings you much comfort. Verse 10, Gabila, earring. But he knows the way that I take. Listen, he knows the way that I think. I'm confused. I don't know what's happening. What I did but I know one thing the way that I take God knows it I don't understand what's happening but I find comfort in knowing that God knows the way that I take so now even though Job's friends did not understand what was going on they even began to judge him horribly enough that what's happening in your life Job there must be something secret but in the midst of all of this what the the only thing that can comfort us is the omniscience of God. He knows the way that I take. It might be profoundly mysterious to me. It might be quite incomprehensible to my friends. But thou knowest. You know the way that I take. And when you have tried me, I shall come forth as gold. So now, I take rest in your knowledge. I take rest in your omniscience. I cannot explain the things that are happening. You are not even responding to me, but I find comfort in knowing that you know the way that I take. The way I take is not a surprise to you. The path that I travel is not a surprise to you. Someone that deny thou compasses my past and you are well acquainted with my ways. I don't know why my dad walked out on us. I don't know why this 
is happening. But I do know this, that you know the way that I take. You know the way that I take. I don't know what I'm going to eat tomorrow, but you know the way that I take some 103. Psalm 103. The wicked are uneasy at this omniscience, but the saint, the witness, the wicked is the sinner. The witness is the saint. The witness is not moved. In fact, he's moved greatly by the sight and the thought of his omniscience. You see, the, the, the sinner is convicted by his omniscience, but the saint is comforted by his omniscience. His omniscience comforts me. He comforts me. Psalm 104, verse 14. Psalm 103, verse 14. In a time of weariness, in a time of weakness, believers can assure themselves with Psalm 103, verse 14. Bala, bala, bala. For he knoweth our frame. He remembereth that we are dust. Listen, God knows your frame. God knows how much load you can bear. He knows your frame and he remembers you are only dust. So now in time of weariness and weakness, I am comforted knowing that, you know what, you God, you know my frame. You will not allow for me to, to encounter much more than I can bear. You know my frame. You remember that I am dust. Listen to Jesus. I reconcile the lilies of the valley and the birds of the air. How they neither toil nor turn because the heavenly father cares for them. The Bible says, take no thought, go on Matthew 6, take no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought of the things of itself, sufficient unto the day are the evils thereof. Therefore, take no thought for tomorrow, what you shall eat, what you shall wear, and wherewithal thou shalt be dressed, because your heavenly father knows that you have need of all these things and after all these things do the Gentiles seek but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added and somehow how are we able to seek first the kingdom of God by comprehending his omniscience that our heavenly father knows that we have need of these things you don't have to keep hustling in order to do ministry well let me hustle so I can eat no think about the kingdom of God your heavenly father knows that you have need of these things never allow ministry to turn you into a hustler I will never allow my calling to make me a hustler listen we are not hustling here we are in ministry listen you don't need a CV when you have a calling you don't have to hustle what told me like the controversy <laughs> he knows our frame Psalm 139 verse 23 and 24 he knows our frame he remembers that we are dust Listen, God knows exactly how much you can take. So in times whereby you are weary, 
Intangible, you even to begin to suspect yourself. You know that at times you're not even sure of your own salvation. You know that at times we're not, you're not even sure of where you yourself stand. In such times, we call upon his omniscience. Look at Psalm 139, 23 and 24 says. Search me, O God. Listen, when you yourself don't even know, thinking, I don't even know what I want. You are thinking of divorcing your wife. You yourself don't even know if you can continue in this thing. Oh, search me, O God. Search me, ba, 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 ba. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Mm. Try me mm. and know my thoughts. Mm, 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 mm. Try me, man, and know my thoughts. I don't know my thoughts. I don't even know what's going on in my own heart. Search me, oh God. Try me. Know my thoughts. Continue. And see if there be any wicked way in me. But I'm not sure if my intentions are good. I can't even trust myself right now. You know what, God? I know, you know, I'm bending with lust. I'm, I feel like getting married, but search me, oh God. Is this love or lust? You know, I know I love the way she is built, but is she the one? Search my heart, oh God. Search my heart. You need to understand there is a difference between love and lust. You see, lust, you'll be lasting for someone. Lust is not love. Lust has gotten each that's all learning that your Sunday school are in a room. Love has gotten each and each and each and each. You know each? Lust has gotten each that sex cannot scratch. It's gotten each that sex cannot scratch. Sex doesn't satisfy lust. That's why Amnon, lasting for his, it was not love, it was lust. The Bible says, Namak, I'm desperate. His own sister, like desperate, like he must have her. The Bible says, after he slept with her, he hated her. The one he was lasting for, he now resents. As if it's her fault, everything happened. But he hated her. Because does not love, it was last. There are many because they got the license to do the deed. Now the deed is done. Because when your wife is beautiful, don't tell us that. Yes, looks matter, but you better make sure the reason was not the looks. Listen, Brad Pitt or divorce Angelina Jolie. Pom, or divorce Angelina Jolie. Okay, what means Angelina Jolie? Who do you think you? Listen, looks. No one. No one. Who said, you know what? Yeah, this one. I'm on Yala because of these looks. No one says, I'm staying married to this person because of their looks. 
You know what? We are too beautiful to divorce. Show, show, show. The way you are built, you are undivorceable. I've never seen anyone say that. For the reason I stayed in this marriage is because of how beautiful you are. Listen, I'm not saying they do not matter. No one ever said the reason we stayed married. They even cheat on that beautiful one. They even cheat on them. Search my heart. Listen. John 21. In times where you have disappointed yourself, in times whereby you have disappointed your husband, you have disappointed your wife, you have disappointed your pastor, you have disappointed everyone who cares about you, your mother, your father, you have even disappointed God. John 21, verse 17. In times whereby you have, you have uh, disappointed even God. Where this question that Jesus asked is in your heart. Lovest thou me? Lovest thou me? But love the last part after that. After lovest thou me? Peter, Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. The only way Peter could say shh to Jesus was to draw from the attribute, you know all things. I did my allergies, so okay, feed my sheep. Why? You know all things. Even in times, ne? whereby, why did I even do that? Well, I know what God, you know all things. You know all things. God, you know all things. His omniscience gives us comfort. Well, how? Last week, we blessed. This week, we devoted. Only a week. Only one week. What am I going to say? God, you know all things. You know all things. And this what gives us comfort. They don't understand. They, you, oh God, know all things. How can such a thing happen to me? You know all things. I want to bring this to a conclusion. I want to bring this to a conclusion. Time will not allow me to show you where the omniscience is an attribute of the Son, it's an attribute of the Father, it's an attribute of the Holy Spirit. Because we need to now go through the scriptures. And when you read the scriptures, the Son is omniscient. When you go through the scriptures, the Father is omniscient. When you go through the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is omniscient. Because 
there is a perichoretic relationship between these three. They mutually indwell one another in a dynamic unity. They all inhabit the same infinite divine space. They, they inhabit the same divine space. When you go back to the language of quantum mechanics, now I'm no longer talking about light, I'm talking about electrons, I'm talking about quarks, about quasars, about Bose-Einstein condensates. When I'm looking at the quantum nature of of minute particles, even smaller than atoms, the things which make up atoms. When we're looking at these things, we realize that there is absolutely no way you can know both properties. What are the properties? Its velocity and its position. If you discover its velocity, you cannot know its position. If you discover its position, you cannot know its velocity. And you think you understand what I'm saying, but you don't. I'll show you now one of the experiments made by Ernest Rutherford, Lebo Max Planck. And here is the experiment. When they, when they determined, but this thing, it was first postulated by Werner Heisenberg with the, with the Heisenberg uncertainty principle that you cannot be certain 100%. Why? If you know its position, I don't know if, if the angels are dropping coins or what. The Lord is saying silver and gold is mine. If I was a major prophet, I want to close this thing. Werner Heisenberg. If you discover, let's say there are two of us, Kitato, Kitamusho, there's Mike, Dima, Precious, we're all scientists. We're all looking at the same data. One is in China, one is in America, in all the different corners of the, of the world. We're all looking at the same data. If one of us discovers its position, none of us will be able to discover its momentum. If one of us sees its momentum, none of us will be able to see. But even if we're even different parts of the world, it's called quantum entanglement. It's a nature in quantum physics that you cannot know both two properties at the same time. If you discover its position, you won't know its velocity. If you discover its velocity, you won't know where it is. You can only know one. So now when you go down to the basic components of creation and matter itself, there are so much uncertainties, there are things we'll never know. If you see his oneness, you can't see the threeness. If you look at the threeness, you cannot see the oneness. But there is no way you can remove them from one another. There is an entanglement. But this one is not a quantum entanglement. It's a divine entanglement. I see Will Smith Jada. Get the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. I see entanglement. Get perichorosis. Why am I doing this? Ne? I'm trying to show you that in the most advanced sciences, there are things which are unknowable. That if you know its position, you know sometimes in this debate, they must call the right people. 
They must call the right people who won't be emotional, who will respond in the right way. If you know its position, you cannot know its momentum. If you disagree with me, then you disagree with your own signs. And it's an accepted thing. So why is it acceptable that we cannot know both these two attributes at the same time? But why is it incomprehensible that we cannot decode the mystery of the Godhead? The force which holds together nuclear elements, that there are four major forces, is the electromagnetic force, is gravity. It is the weak nuclear force and the strong nuclear force. These are the four fundamental forces which hold all matter together. There's also gravity and stuff like that. But the, the only mystery among these four is gravity. Yeah? But when you're looking at the weak nuclear force and the strong nuclear force, there are subatomic uh, particles which make up these forces. And these subatomic particles yeah, are made up gluons and what etc. There are there is a dynamic unity of threes, threes, threes. And this is the makeup, the forces which hold you together. And when you try to look at these things, you can only know one aspect of them. Even the fundamental of creation says you can only know it up until a certain point. There are some uncertainties when we're talking about this God. So how now do we close this sermon? How do we close it? Psalm 65. Verse 24. When you look at this, this is an encouragement. We can remove this. Nataf can come and join us. This is an encouragement to prayer. There is no cause for fearing that your petitions will not be heard by God. That your petitions will not be answered by God. Uh, that your prayers, your cries, your tears, and your sighs will go unnoticed by the Father. There is no such thing. He knows all. So there is no fear when it comes to our prayer. There is no danger of anyone being overlooked in their prayer. Listen, Jesus is a better high priest than Eli. Because Eli misjudged Hannah when Hannah was praying. How can you be drunk in the temple at this time? You see, so Eli is not a high priest who is merciful. He's a high priest, but he is misjudging someone in prayer. Are you a drunk in the temple? And this person is pouring out her heart unto Jehovah. And a priest of Jehovah misjudges her heart. But with this high priest called Jesus, he cannot misjudge you. He is a, he's a high priest who can be touched with the very feeling of our infirmities. The same Eli who could not bring his own sons to order wants to bring order to Hannah when she's praying. But when his own sons are sleeping with girls in the temple, he is silent. You see, when you look at Eli, he's got double standards. When you look at Eli, he's got preferences. When you look at Eli, he is an unfair judge. But looking at 
Jesus, this Jesus, there is nothing which goes unnoticed. He can be touched with the very feeling of our infirmities. He is therefore a merciful and faithful high priest. As God, he knows exactly what we are going through. But as a high priest, he feels exactly how we feel. Therefore, he is a merciful and faithful high priest. So when you look at Eli encountering a woman, he is unfair to her. But when you look at Jesus encountering a woman, he knows all that is in her heart. There is a high priest who can be touched with the very feeling of our infirmities. So there are no petitions that God will ever misunderstand. There is no prayer that God will ever mis misunderstand. So when you present your various petitions to the Father, when you present your various requests to God, there is no mispronunciation that God will not... I'm sorry, what do you mean? God will never ask you for clarity when you are praying. There is a dimension in prayer whereby even when words fail you, God knows exactly what you need. So there is no risk. Listen, your prayers are not in jeopardy. Your prayers are not in risk. Listen, Satan cannot steal your prayers. Listen, Satan cannot stand as the prince of the air and steal your prayers anymore because I saw Satan falling like lightning. Listen, there is no one standing in between you and your prayers. There is no one standing who can steal a prayer before it reaches God. Verse 24. Listen, all people who are praying at every hour, at every moment of every day, at any given time, the infinite mind of God is capable of paying attention to each and every person as if they are the only person who exists. All at the same time, why? He's got an infinite mind. Rame is unlimited. Rame inale, inale infinite knowledge. In fact, it's not even RAM because RAM gives random access memory. There is nothing random about this God. He is unlimited. You see, our language even fails. Our examples are insufficient when we are looking at this God. There is no prayer which is in jeopardy. There is no prayer which is at the risk of not being heard. There is no prayer. Therefore, we have confidence when we approach him in prayer. God can never misunderstand you. God can never mishear you. God can never make a wrong conclusion about you. He is able to play, to pay perfect attention. Verse 24. Listen, even the lack of appropriate language to express the inner longings of the heart, even the lack of appropriate language to express the inner thoughts and injuries of the heart. Listen, the lack, your lack of vocabulary does not jeopardize your prayer. Your lack of vocabulary does not jeopardize your petition to God. It does not and it shall come to pass that before they call before they call before they call unto me before they cry I will answer yes and it shall come to pass that before they call I will answer 
And while they are yet speaking, I will hear. Trying to come up with the words, he hears. He hears the things unsaid. He hears the things we have not spoken. Psalm 50, 50, 50, 50. I can show again. Give 58, verse 6, or give 56, verse 8. Something like that. Now, Eric, you, God takes my tears. Give 58, verse 6. Oh, 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 give 56, verse 8. No, this one can young lion. This is a verse I have for young lions. Hey, not for today, but listen, young lions have got a word from the Lord from you. Eh? I will break your teeth. It will break the teeth of the young lion. <laughs> I'm a young lion, but I'm doing a conference for young lions, and I've got a verse for you. God will break your teeth. Break the teeth of the young lions. Uh, sorry for another day. Another day. It's just that you pose it like Baba. Thou tellest my wanderings. God knows my one. You know what is to wonder? To wonder is to move aimlessly. Like when you're going through depression, you, you don't even know what you want. You are wondering. You tell my wondering. Hey, hey, bala, bala. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? Listen, there are even prayers you have not made, but he has had them. Listen, there is no tear which will fall in vain. Listen, God understands the language of crying. He understands the language. Even the mute cannot speak. God hears them. Even those who have got no words. Hey, how do you think a person who cannot speak gets saved? Because you have to confess that Jesus is Lord. What happens when you cannot speak? What happens when you are mute? Listen, even if you are mute, there is no petition. God cannot hear. God hears the heart. There is no confession. There is no confession which is in jeopardy. There is no prayer which is in jeopardy. Listen, our prayers are safe. Hey, hey, thou tell us my wanderings. All my tears, are they not in thy bottle? Listen, the Holy Spirit is the collector. He collects our tears. Listen, he collects our tears. He is the collector. You know why? He collects precious things. Your tears are precious to him. Every time you pray, you cry, he is there. That's why the Bible is, he is near to the broken hearted. There is something about brokenness which attracts God. In the sacrifice of God, I have broken spirit and a contrite heart. He is close to the broken hearted and the contrite ones. No wonder the Holy Spirit prefers the title of comfort because our tears are precious to them. He collects them. Only the comfort can collect our tears. Jesus makes intercession for us, but the comfort collects our tears. But the Father revelation shall wipe away every tear. Our prayers. Our prayers. Psalm 147. Not tough come. 
Psalm 147. I want us to, to meditate on these attributes. I want us to meditate on these attributes of God. My catalyzer. Psalm 147, give me verse, verse 5. Give me verse 5. Bala. Great is our Lord, and of great power, his understanding is infinite. Just the last part. His understanding is infinite. It's infinite. His understanding is infinite. Listen, there's nothing God does not know. Like Hengabala, they say, God knows everything. Every atom which hits another atom, God sees it. Every star which collides with another star, God sees it. Every brother and sister who are having an altercation, God sees it. His knowledge is infinite. Listen, you don't have to speak for yourself. There was a time when Joseph was accused of trying to seduce that woman's, that man's wife. Ne? And nobody spoke for Joseph. But God told Moses, yes, later Moses is writing to vindicate Joseph. Listen, Joseph was not there to speak for himself, but there was someone. Listen, Moses was not there when it happened, but Moses is writing about it because God saw. Listen, you can even die without anyone ever testifying for you. It does not matter. What matters is Jehovah knows. What matters is Jehovah has seen it. What matters is that Jehovah is faithful. So we do not need to explain ourselves to anyone. We do not need to tell our side of the story. Jehovah knows. Jehovah knows. Acts 15 verse 18. Known unto God from the beginning are all his works. No. I want us to in worship and adoration to take comfort in the omniscience of God. Isaiah, before they cry, I would have already answered. Before you ask for bread, God has already provided. That's why Jesus prays in a different way. Other Father, I thank you that before I have even prayed, you have heard me. Let you pray like Jesus. Eh? When you went to the grave of Lazarus, our Father, for their sake, I am praying now. For, for their sake, I am praying. But I know, before I prayed, you had me. Prayer is not about your language. Prayer is not about your duration. Prayer is about your communion. Learn. Before I prayed, you already had me. But for the, for the, for the, so that these may believe, I am praying now. Lazarus! Come out. And take comfort. Take comfort. Take comfort. Listen, your pastor might be un not understanding. Your pastor might have a short temper. Your pastor might have a short spark. But no, you're not saving your pastor. You are saving God. But no, no. God
are sending you to a stubborn man to submit under. God knew and he gave you the grace to submit under this handsome man of God. God knew and he gave you the grace. God would not allow for you to be under the authority of such handsomeness without giving you the grace. God knows. God knows. If God is the one who brought you here, God has given you the grace to remain. Don't let Satan lie to you. Don't let Satan tell you things, Baba. Before I even prayed, he had me. He knows. He knows our petitions. Like, guys, wait, when I begin to, to muse to the indescribable complexities of his divinity, I cannot help but bow down in humble adoration. That what, what God is this? What God is this? What God is this? Not tough.